One of my favorite sayings out there, I don't know who said it. Maybe I did. Um, I'm horrible with quotes. I'm like, <laughs> maybe I said this. My favorite maybe quote might have been from me. Check out my Instagram. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Finding Mr. Hyde, the podcast. I'm Allie, back with my co-host, Erica. Sitting next to my co-host, Erica, <laughs> in Vegas. Yeah. We're, we've been having a fun time. We've been having a great-ass time. Uh, we immediately checked out the Magic Mike show, as we mentioned. And by immediately, you mean we took our suitcases from the airport, checked them at the desk of the Sahara, and ran into the show. Yep. kind of late because our flight was delayed. That's all right. We saw what we needed to see. We saw what we needed to see. <laughs> We got there. I'd say it was a success. I agree. I agree. Um, It was super fun. I, when we booked this flight or this trip, did not think about the fact that I played a volleyball tournament on Saturday. Oh, yeah. That was, it turned out, turned into like a 12 hour tournament. We won, which was amazing. Um, However, getting on that flight the next day, Mm. I think I used half of my tub of Sunset Lake CBD Arnica cream. Yeah, that stuff is clutch. It's insanely good. I don't blame you. It's I have it on so many parts of my body right now. <laughs> I also, you were here last night when I discovered this random fucking bruise on my elbow. Yeah, you didn't even know you had it. I didn't know I had it. I went to put up my hair to go to bed. I was like, oh my God. So then I had to put more on. Yeah, but that's how good the cream is. The, the you don't even is, feel the bruises, baby. The cream is so good. So I, I have that with me. I have my melatonin drops those are clutch i use some of those for the flight because i was like i need to i need to pass out i've had a hectic couple of weeks yeah that's just nice to nice to cool out knock out and uh damn now i'm like those magic mic uh dancers might need some of this sunset lake cbd yeah seriously <laughs> Ooh, they're putting in work if you want to try sunset lake you can go to sunsetlakecbd.com use our promo code fmh20 and get yourself 20 percent off everything yeah it's a hot 20 percent off you could use it as much as you want uh get a gift for yourself or a friend FMH20 at sunsetlakecbd.com. So I've talked a little bit on the pod about how I've been trying to extend my damp January into into future months. And I have really been enjoying recess mocktails as a way to have what feels like a fancy drink at home, but without the alcohol. Yeah. And also, it's nice to have something in your fridge that just has a little bit of flavor. Totally. And they're they're delicious. They're made with real fruit, sweetened with agave, and again, 0% alcohol. So just a nice, nice little flavorful drink that is a little, little play on our favorites here. They got a bunch of great flavors. My personal favorite is the recess watermelon mojito. I actually like to garnish it like it's a actual cocktail. Like I put it in a coupe glass, feeling all fancy, garnish it with a little sprig of mint. It is delicious. And my favorite is the recess ginger lime mule. I'm a ginger gal. And what I love also, not too sweet. Perfect amount of just a little, little sweet treat. They're absolutely delicious, and you can get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash FMH, so you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences. So so we're in Vegas, mm-hmm. and I I don't have many updates, quite frankly, from, the, from a dating lens. I did have – I had a this – this trip is well-timed because I really had a tough week. Mm. It was – work has just been insane recently. More insane than usual, like more busy than usual. Um, and it's, I, I'm working just too much. It's a lot. 
Luckily, I really like what I do. Like, this would be even worse if I didn't like what I do. I really do like what I do, but I don't want to do it as much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the work-life balance. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that hasn't been there as much recently. And then I'm currently dealing with something with Rory, who's one of my cats, if you um, didn't know that. Um, and so I had to take him to the vet. He needs surgery, which is really sad and scary. Um, and my vet referred to him as middle-aged what? when I was there, which felt rude. How how many he's years six. is he? He's technically okay. middle-aged. She's not wrong. What's that cat year? Six times seven? Is seven. Same? Yeah. Same so with dogs? 42. Yeah. Oh, okay. Seven is – seven, I believe, is when they consider dogs and cats like, quote-unquote, seniors. Like, that's when you can, oh. like, switch them to, like, senior food or whatever. At least last I checked. But, yeah. She called him middle-aged. Huh. And I was like, all right. I'm going to cover his ears. Yeah. <laughs> um. But, yeah. So, it was just, like – it was just a really long – an emotionally draining week. I get it. Um, so I didn't really talk to the roommate. I talked to him, like I mentioned last time, talked to him on Monday. Um, and then I re- I haven't talked to him since that thrilling text yeah. exchange. I mean, disappointing, but I know. So he's still, I think he's still in LA and he knows I'm in Vegas. So like, it's not like I'd be hanging out with him anyway, but I would like to see him again. Yeah. It's just the classic momentum feels like it's, died which just sucks i know so we'll see i also have an update about last week i mentioned the new match that i have from a matchmaker oh, yeah. okay so i reached out to her and i was like hey like i thought you were gonna send over this guy's info soon and she told me that she realized she was going back through his notes so basically she talks to somebody okay whatever like interviews them but they also have when they joined whatever um you know pool mm-hmm. they interviewed with somebody at that time as well so there's like additional notes about them in the system. And so she, when she was going back through not only her notes, but those notes to write his little blurb for me, she noticed that the first in his intake call, he had talked about being super religious and going to church every week. Oh. And that isn't, it didn't come up in their conversation, which yeah. is kind of surprising because usually that will come up if somebody's yeah. like that. So he might not be anymore. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. And so she was like, that's one of my deal breakers, like the wrong word to use, because it's not necessarily it's not necessarily a deal breaker if somebody is religious or if they go to church. But I am neither of those. I am not religious, nor do I ever want to go to church on a regular basis. Yeah, that's more what it is. That's what it is. And typically speaking, that's not okay for that person. Typically not. And then the the real thing that's not okay for the most people that are religious and want to go to church is that if we do have kids, my kids will not be forced to go to church. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, that that is a hard deal breaker. Yeah, there's many people that are different religions and married, but it's because you have to agree on what do we do with the kids. Yeah, I'm cool if they want to go. Totally fine. But I that is an absolute deal breaker for me that I will not like force my kids to go to any sort of. Yeah, you know. Regard it has nothing to do with the denomination or anything. No, like, no, no. This is not shitting on religion. Yeah, because everybody's different. Yeah. Because did you go to church growing up? No. Okay, I did go to church growing up, but I don't like actively go to church as an adult. Yeah. So my dad was an extremely, I almost said devout, but like that's probably not even the right word. He was Catholic. Okay. And he was very religious mm-hmm. as an individual. He went to church all the time. I actually never knew that he went to church until I was older. Oh, really? Yeah. He didn't go on Sundays necessarily. He would like pop into mass like after work or before. Like very interesting. Yeah. Um, Or he would like go and in his words, talk to the big guy directly. Like he would just like go and and pray. Um, 
I didn't know that until I was much older mm-hmm. because both he and my mom were very adamant based on mostly his upbringing where he was forced into it mm. that they wanted to present options to me and my brother. And if we were curious about it, we could go, but it was never something we were forced to do. And that is like the exact approach that I want. Yeah. If I have kids, I still don't know if I want them. Um, or do you almost imagine, say you are with someone who's similar to your dad of goes to church on their own. You would, I assume you'd want kind of that same agreement where you're like, if the kids are interested and want to go with you, they're welcome to go with you. But yes. like, we will not like be like, wake up church time. Exactly. You know, exactly. Okay. And I don't expect him to hide it. it I, my, right. My, right, my, that right. was like my own dad's thing that he, right. just, I don't really know why he did that, but that was not a thing from my mom. He just, it's very, it's just very interesting. Song. Yeah. It's, it's rare to have that. I yeah. Feel like when we were growing up. Completely. And my mom didn't go to church growing up. Like she converted to, she was a Lutheran. She converted to Catholicism because it was important to my grandmother. And the uh, marriage ceremony. Exactly. Yeah. My, my grandmother wanted my dad to get married in the Catholic church. Mm-hmm. So my mom had to convert. She was like, I don't really care what religion I am. So fine, whatever. I'll do it. Yeah. Um, all this to say that my matchmaker is going back to him to ask more questions. Yeah. Now that she noticed, she like must have missed that note in his original intake. Mm-hmm. So now that she noticed that, she's like, I want to make sure that I ask a lot of questions about this. Yeah. It's, it's just something you never know. Yeah. And I feel like like with dating apps, we've all been burned before a little bit of like someone putting a religion and then when you meet them, you're like, oh, you're like super into this religion. Yeah. Whereas other people will put like I've seen people put Catholic and then upon meeting them, they're like, well, I was raised Catholic and like I used to go to church as a kid. They're like, I don't really go anymore. Right. But it's kind of like I got the sacraments under my belt, you know, like and that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, yeah, I've been baptized, communion confirmed. Like I can get married in a Catholic church if that's what I decide to do. Yeah. But Although Catholic churches are real loosey goosey these days. Or if you find the I right mean, one. looser than if before. you find the right one. Oh, that's what I mean. Relative yeah. to their predecessors. You still got to do pre-Cana. Yeah. Which I'm like dying to, I want to know what those questions are. I want to be like, can I just get the questions ahead of time? <laughs> I want to study. Because I feel like, no, I think I'll fail it, even if I looked at them. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I'll be like, mm, I don't subscribe to this. Sorry. Um, yeah, I definitely don't want to get married in church. That's another thing. That's a deal breaker mm-hmm. for me. I'm abs- I absolutely do not want to get married in a church. Yeah, which is like, that's step one. And then. Yeah. Um. So anyway, all that to say, she's looking into it. Um. And then separate from that, I've been having some really good success on Hinge. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like, I had kind of let it lay dormant for a bit and I decided to, I've been spending like roughly 10 to 15 minutes a day sending out comments, not likes, but comments. That takes dedication, man. It does. And I it's can't... something that like, it, I get tired of it and I haven't done it while we're here, so whatever. But I did it and I've been seeing results. Okay. People have been responding. Hell yeah. So Is there any... Anything specific comments wise you could give tips to the fans or like do you just find something to comment on? I will just – I will typically try to ask a question mm-hmm. about something. So like one of my go-tos is like – this. I guess this technically isn't a question, but one of my go-tos is I need a lot more information about this. Okay. That's a good one when, yeah, there's not anything specific, maybe an interesting photo. Yeah. Or okay. like if they have a travel photo and if maybe the prompt is like guess where this photo was taken or like whatever or, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, if I know where it – if I have a guess, I – I will guess. Yep. And then and then I will say, like, am I right? If I don't have a guess, I'll say, like, I have no idea, but I really need to know. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, one guy recently had a – one of the guys I'm currently talking to had a picture from – I recognized it from Columbia from when I had done a ton of research for the trip that I had to cancel in 2020. Oh, yeah. And I 
now have been back, but I didn't go to this region. Okay. But I immediately recognized the dude all my research and that is where it was. So like perfect. Those kinds of things. Um yeah. So I'm feeling good about it. Yeah. You've been so you almost feel like you've been more more of a hinge gal than Bumble lately? A little bit. Ooh, a little bit. Yeah, Bumble twist. like the only conversation I had going recently was we the most boring man on the planet <laughs> whose transcript we read on the Patreon this week. Uh, yeah. That's the worst. Uh, anything with you? What's up? Uh, I really don't have any dating updates. Uh, I know the public pod I told about the man I met through Molly. Yeah. Um, but have not heard from him. Mm. And I haven't reached out either. Uh, it's it's like kind of nice of being in a place of being so busy that like, I guess when it comes to dating, I've been less disappointed in general. Yeah. Which you're is like nice. A little unbothered. Right, but it's it's an interesting thing that um, I probably should talk about it to my therapist today when we have our session. <laughs> of I feel like this is my old pattern though is I just always throw myself into work and just work, 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 and it makes me not feel lonely at mm. all, or it makes me be like, ah, relationship, who cares? I got so much going on. But, but like, but at the end of the day, it's like right. If you ask me, like, would you like to be in the, in a relationship? The answer is yes. Of course, yeah. I would love to be in one. I would love to find my person, but like you got to take some responsibility of like, okay, well, are you at all giving yourself time to do that? It can ebb and flow though, you know? Exactly. But I guess what you're saying is like, or I'm going to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like what you're saying is like just being cognizant of if that's what you're doing. Right. Because I look at my twenties and that was my twenties. I was going hard at comedy, just trying to get better, like putting my full focus on that. Not at all really trying to date. Yeah. And so technically I was living the like, Ooh, if I meet someone, I'll meet someone and whatever, or, Ooh, maybe just through friends. But like, I never had any real relationships happen. And that's what made me like once when I started podcasting, but two, that's what made me go, okay, well that didn't work for you. Like, especially the world i'm in and the environment i'm in i'm like i'm not really meeting potential like partners yeah often so it made me be like okay you need to change a little something of this and not get so wrapped up in your work and the hustle of it and like one for mental health like we were talking about earlier you're like i'm feeling a little burnt out from work i felt a little burnt out from shows but especially not having that day job income there's this like quiet pressure of like oh yeah but but then you might have a week you have no shows and you make no money and then are you going to be like, ah, oh, you should have taken, you shouldn't have taken that night off last week. Like, yeah, it's it, very hard to make myself like pick a night a week and be like, no, nothing. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I'm really scared to like, I would love to go full time with Finding Mr. Height and like it is on my roadmap. I'm working towards it. But it's one of the things that really scares me about it is like that pressure. It's hard to make yourself take time off when there's not, you know, essentially a vacation day payday. Yeah. You're like, oh, I could take this vacation day. But like. My paycheck's still the same at the end of the week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mom's in sales Ugh. and she talks a lot about that and about Ugh. how like, she's, I think, only like now realizing how stressful her career has been. Oh, yeah. I get it. And she'll have like low sales months and then she's like, oh, all right, got to hustle. Like, you know, and it's just, and it's all turned Pure out fine. Hustle. But like, yeah. Pure hustle. So, I get it. Well, trying, trying to find the balance. So, yeah. Well, I, I caved and got Bumble Premium I'm for a week. I'm excited for you to have Bumble Premium. As, yeah. as you know, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the pod, I bought the Lifetime subscription. I know, you did. <laughs> I, I, I've known it, but I didn't want to like call you out or anything. But I, to be fair, I probably have spent, what is it, $200? Yeah. I probably have over I X amount of years. I absolutely have. And I've I already, know. since buying it, this was a while ago that I bought it. Thank you for not calling me out. <laughs> um, I've already like it recouped. Yeah. It's been worth it. The other thing is for me that like, 
this will be something I'll have to discuss with my partner, but I will likely want to stay on dating apps when I'm in a relationship because of this platform. Oh, okay. And so my, you're saying... my profile would be very clear that I am not yeah. looking for something. It, you know, re- I don't know what I would say, but like just to see whatever the feature updates I are. To, yeah, I like I feel it. like I need to like keep a touch on that or a, yeah. a finger. Maybe on I'll the make pulse. you just do my bumble for me. There you go. <laughs> Maybe that's the compromise. So that's kind of was also in my head when I bought the yeah. lifetime. Was like this is this is also like a a write off, if you will. Yeah, it is write off. Literally, it's a write, it's literally a write off for the business. Um. So yeah, I, I'm excited for you. But, yeah. Uh, because I was like, I'll have some downtime in Vegas. Maybe I'll try to set some stuff up for when I come back. And then it will make me also take some nights off. Yeah, true, true. So I was like, maybe maybe that's the move. I'll try it. True, I'll, true. I'll see what I can do. But um, speaking of like checking in with our emotions, though, I am so excited for the listeners to hear the interview that's coming up. We already yeah. did it. So we already know that it's amazing. It's fantastic. It's so good. It is with Lauren Zoller. She is a somatic relationship coach. We will describe exactly what that means when Mm -hmm. we go into it but she's all about the way that your nervous system impacts not only you know dating but also just your life and emotions and you know Mm -hmm. it it is full of so many practical nuggets that people can take away yeah i found it very very informative and i was glued the whole time completely like i was like keep talking yes we like told her how long the interview was supposed to be and then like 25 minutes after that time i was like oh god we're still here like yeah this has been so good no she's great very very excited for everybody to hear it it's so good so without further ado let's go to lauren let's do it listen up guys if you haven't heard yet we're coming to the dc comedy loft for another live podcast thursday march 21st get your tickets we are I think over halfway sold out already. Well over halfway sold out. So get your tickets if you want to come. Experience some magic live. We want to meet you. We want to talk to you. We're going to have so much fun. And it's also Allie's birthday that week. It is my birthday that week. So, and my mom might be there. I'm excited. You can go to findingmrhyde.com slash live to find an easy link. Also in our bios to get those tickets. And we are going to have an after party afterwards where we can really meet and greet, talk to everybody somewhere in the area. Yeah. So make sure you come DC Comedy Loft Thursday, March 21st. And if you want to check out some stand up, I'm going to be there all weekend. So Friday and that Saturday, I'll be doing stand up shows, start swiping on hinge, bring a date, have a good time. And you'll, you can come and meet Allie's mom, which we still have some spots left on our Portugal trip. And a little update on that. A few of you reached out to us about hey, I want to come either, unfortunately, I don't have my mom anymore, or I want to come with my aunt, I want to come with my sister, I just want to come with a friend. The trip is officially open to anybody that would like to come, as long as you don't mind. Half the trip being moms and daughter combos. Everybody's excited to come. Doesn't matter. You are welcome to join. Travel with us. It's going to be so, so fun. You can also check that out at findingmrhight.com slash podcast. If you have any questions about it, feel free to reach out. We're happy to answer anything. We're just so excited to be there with our moms and with you. Yep. Next October, October 4th through 10th. Check it out. Come travel with us too. And we are back with Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to Finding Mr. Hyde, the podcast. Hi, guys. So good to be here. We're very, very excited to have you here. Um, So quick for our listeners, can you give uh, them a brief background of what your experience is and we'll get started. Yeah. So I am a somatic dating and relationship coach. Um, I've been doing this for, gosh, I don't know, going on five years. But what I really help men and women do is heal their nervous system so they can access deep, secure, healthy partnership. So whether they are single or in a relationship, 
getting their nervous system to really jive with security is my jam. So that's a little bit about what I do. And I'm sure we're going to dive into what in the heck is somatic work anyways, because it's always the next question. (laughs) That was my first question is like, I bet you people are out there being like, what the heck is somatic? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's the language of the nervous system. So, so often many of us are, we've been to therapy before. So we've done a lot of cognitive processing. If you've ever been to talk therapy, you know that you're probably rehashing the same thing over and over and over again. And chances are you may have a little bit of relief, but down the line, you continue to repeat patterns in your dating situations and your relationships. The reason being is because you haven't looked at the other 80%, which is the nervous system. So when something happens to you as a child and you, you create a dynamic in your body and you don't actually renegotiate that dynamic in your nervous system, you'll continue to repeat that in dating situations as an adult. So what somatic work is, is getting into the nervous system and teaching you how to redefine security in your body versus just your brain so that you can finally feel security in partnership, which a lot of people don't really get to experience. Yeah. Is, I mean, that that sounds like an amazing goal. <laughs> I was going to say is some of this, like we've heard many times before of like having the butterflies in your stomach at the beginning of a relationship is actually usually an anxiety reaction mm-hmm. as opposed to a genuine just excitement for, you know, dating that person. So is part of the work you do trying to like differentiate between that excitement versus is this actually my anxiety or my body trying to tell me something? Absolutely. And I, I want to preface by saying, because this, you know, the butterfly situation really got me on, they put me on the map. Um, they did say, <laughs> I was like, butterflies are not great. And butterflies are okay to a certain extent, right? If you've been on five, six, seven dates with someone, that person should feel like home. So it's not that butterflies are a quote unquote bad thing. Excitement is a really great thing. But if you continue to feel butterflies for an extended period of time, it's your nervous system saying to you, something isn't safe here. Something isn't right. It's giving me activation. So really you got to get curious, get curious about the activation. Is it that this person is unsafe or is there a repeated pattern that's showing up for you? Whether it be, you know, a pattern associated with anxious attachment or some sort of avoidant tendency is that coming up and giving you that hit of activation? And do you need to look into that and learn how to renegotiate it? So butterflies can give us curiosity and they're not always bad, but if you've been dating somebody for a little while, you might want to question it. So that's a great thing to sort of like that first step. It feels like almost like a decision tree Mm -hmm. of like, this is happening. Here could be reasons. What do you recommend people take as a first step to think about, is it this person specifically or is there more going on here? So one of the, one of the things that I give all of my clients, and this is hopefully everyone that's listening can take this away with them. Something that you have to understand when you're working with the nervous system is that the nervous system doesn't speak in cognitive story. Okay. So if you're sitting across from someone that you're dating and you're trying to talk to yourself about what's happening, your nervous system doesn't speak that language. Your nervous system speaks in the language of sensation and emotion. So if you've never spoken the language of sensation and emotion in a moment to moment basis, there's absolutely no way that you can know whether or not someone is safe or not. So the first step 
is to start teaching yourself the language of the nervous system. And then, and I'll, I'll teach you how to do this in a moment, and then start to check in with, okay, I'm going to do a somatic check-in right now. What's happening? Where am I? What sensations and emotions are present? And are these sensations and emotions in a high level of activation where I probably need to get curious about, is this person triggering me? Or is it just that I have something that is is totally fine. It's just a little bit of excitement and it's not full-blown activation, right? So hopefully I'll circle back to that. The way that you listen to the language of the nervous system is to just check in with your sensations and emotions. So maybe we can do it together right now. Yeah, I was was about to say, can we do it? (laughs) Yeah, I'm game. Okay, so even if you're listening, you can do this. Imagine a time- Everyone, we're in this together. Do it, let's all do it. We're all doing it together. So all we're gonna do is we're gonna take a moment to check in to the sensations and the emotions that are present in our body right now. So I'll go first to make it easier, okay? So I have a warmth in my low belly. My heart rate is a little lifted, but not, doesn't feel like it's beating out of my chest. And the emotion that I feel is joy. I'm excited. I love talking about this stuff, right? So all of those clues just gave me information about where my nervous system is in this moment, right? Because joy and a little bit of a heart lift and warmth in my low belly all give me clues that my body is in safety, Hmm. right? Mm -hmm. What about you guys? Let's do a check in here. It's funny that you said warmth in your low belly because I've never heard that phrasing, Mm. but that is what I feel right now. And it is different. I had a just a really shit-tastic week. And <laughs> and I felt really activated all week unrelated to dating. The listeners will have heard about it in the beginning part of this episode, but I have felt a tightness in my chest all week. Mm. And that's something this she didn't use the same phrasings exactly, but a former therapist of mine would do things like this and I feel my anxiety in my chest and so doing this check-in has actually made me realize that I don't feel that today. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until I had that check-in, which is like a a powerful thing to do with yourself. Yeah. Well, and also it gives you, it gives your brain a neural pathway that can associate, oh, wait, I feel okay. I'm safe. This is what safety feels like in my body. So to answer your question, going back a few moments ago, if you're with someone you don't have those moments of safety, something's going on, right? And it's just, it's, it's something for you to get curious about Mm. is your body's not feeling safe in that person's presence. Maybe it's you, maybe it's them. That's what you go to an SCP and work through to figure out how your patterns are playing out, but you are just speaking the language. And so, you know, now, right. Yeah. Erica, what about you? Um, my heart rate feels fine. <laughs> Doesn't feel elevated or low. I don't. I don't know. Um, I'll start there. And um, my, I have, uh, I've been having like a tension in between my shoulder blades and my back the past mm-hmm. couple of weeks, and I think it's a stress response that I feel myself like tensing in my shoulders. Yeah. But right now, I feel relaxed. I'm having a good time. Good. <laughs> I'm glad we're all safe. We're all yeah. safe here. Nobody feels like all they're feeling safe. Yeah. I love it. 
Yeah. I I really like that. That's such a practical nugget that people can take away to, you know, just even just to do those check-ins. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that the more you do them, the better you get at identifying what you're feeling. For sure. And I'll say this, there's, there are four survival, main survival responses in the body. And you've probably heard of them. And the nervous system only speaks in the, so let me back up. The nervous system does two things really beautifully. It gets you the hell out of Dodge when something is, is threatening you. Okay. It does this automatically. We don't even have to tell it to do it. And it helps you rest, digest and access safety when all's fine. Right. So right now your body's probably digesting normally. Everything's peachy, right? Cause there's no bear in the room. Nothing's trying to kill you. Right. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Now, if a bear were to come in the room right now, your body would automatically go into four survival responses. They don't always come up in the same order, but they always show up in one of these four areas. The first one is flight. A bear comes in, your body's automatically going to try to run away from that bear, right? If that bear catches up with you, you're going to start fighting it automatically. Your body's doing this without you having to tell it to do anything. Then if those two things don't work, your body will go into a response called fawning, which is you'll try to people please the bear and beg for your life, right? In hopes that he will take mercy on your poor soul and not kill you to death. And the fourth response is freeze, which is your body will go into playing dead in hopes that the bear thinks that you're dead and will actually leave you alone. Your body naturally goes into these four survival responses. So what happens is that when you learn the emotions and the sensations associated with these four survival responses, when you do these check-ins, you can start to say, oh, I'm in a freeze response right now. Oh, I'm in a flight response right now. Right? So you can start to see where you are in that survival response and start to work towards safety so that you can have more access to that in your relationships. And then would like, would the next step then from figuring out, okay, I'm in this trauma response or I'm in, I'm in this, um, survival, survival response rather, would the next step then be the why? Great question. No, no. No. Okay. No. Because if you remember, The nervous system only speaks in sensation and emotion. This is why somatic work is so cool. Okay. Mm. Cognitive work. The why is important. I'm not going to say that it's not important because you have, the brain needs to link. It needs to link why what you're doing in your adult relationships is a reflection of what you learned as a kid, how you gave and received love. But that's only 20% of the puzzle. The other 80%, and I'll give an example of this. The other 80% is how is the nervous system responding to that trigger? So here's a great example of this. And I'm sure maybe you all know this woman. It was me. So I'm sure maybe you can relate with it. Do you all know any women who can sit in front of you and tell you that a dude is awful for her, right? Like he's not good. He's bad news. And then Saturday morning rolls around and she's in his bed. Because Friday night, (laughs) Friday night, she was lonely, right? And what happened in that moment is that she knows cognitively this guy's not good for her. But her nervous system still feels like it needs survival. It doesn't feel safe. It needs to be loved. It needs to feel wanted and accepted. And so her nervous system overrides her brain, even though she knows this guy's bad for her. And she runs to his bed. 
If we don't renegotiate that response in the body, we'll continue to repeat that pattern until that survival response is renegotiated. So with, and this is what's so cool about nervous system work. You don't really need to know the why you do for your, for your own health and well-being if you want that connection, because it's good for us to have those conversations. But when I work with clients, I can look at their nervous system and track their nervous system and know exactly when they're in a survival response and how to renegotiate that. That's really powerful. I think I just always default to like, okay, so when can I start thinking about this? Like what? <laughs> and my, my therapist says this to me all the time. She's like, you're trying to talk your way out of this and you're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. It, it re-traumatizes us in a lot of ways. So I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to ask this now without trying to make it seem like I'm asking about the why. But so I guess how then do you go from like renegotiating that survival state that you're in mm -hmm. to figuring out if it's being triggered by that individual or if it's like this is just because of my own shit that mm -hmm. I need to work through. And then perhaps this person could feel safe for me. That is when the why is important. So that really is why. And again, remember, I didn't say that it's just the nervous system. There's that 20% piece, right? Because you've got to know, wait a second, am I working through an activation response in my body right now? That is a reflection of something that I picked up as a child and it's showing up in my pattern of relationship. Or is this person just, is this a new thing for me? And this person just doesn't feel safe, hmm. right? So that's when the, that's where the why is important. You've got to be able to look at how did you learn to give and receive love from your parents? If you haven't looked at that, y'all, like you can't date, you can't have healthy partnerships. <laughs> you just can't, like, there's just no way, right? So you've got to look at that. And then you get to, you get to assess in that moment. I'm feeling activation. What triggered this activation? What's happening right now? Did this person tell me that, you know, they don't want to talk about their feelings? And is that a reflection of, and did I feel a lot of anxious energy come up? And is that a reflection from something that I learned to do in childhood? Or is this something that's, that's new for me? And I need to sit in this discomfort and let this renegotiate. So that is where the why is really important. You've yeah. got to one of the things that I've discovered in like working in, in therapy and working, doing a lot of this work is that some of it came from, you know, home life, et cetera. A lot of it also though came from my peer relationships as a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. We, um, the first, whenever a client works with me, the first month we go, before we do any somatic work, we go back through past relationships we go back through what I call core stories of limitation, which are your big T and little T trauma moments that you've had in your life. And then we go back through childhood dynamics and generational dynamics. And we look at all of those experiences and we start to pull out the patterns and triggers that have happened. So the way that we experience relationship as adults, it's a culmination of all of that, right? Your relationships that you have with your friends if you were the last one picked on the dodgeball team, like four weeks in a row in, in elementary <laughs> school, like that may have an effect on your system. So it's important that you look at all of it. I have something, but I don't want this to come off as, as negative. It's a, it is a real curiosity of like, 
So for people that really have gone to therapy and they feel like they've done so much trauma work and mm-hmm. they really do feel like they have healed their self and they've worked on it for so long. And those people still sit there and they're like, okay, I'm still having these difficulties though in relationships. Like prime example is like, I feel like I keep dating on a emotionally unavailable people or people that still won't commit, but they're sitting there like, I don't know what it is that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have healed whatever trauma I've come from. And I feel like I'm navigating these things, like speaking directly about what I want and still just having that frustration of like not being able to find someone or not, or feeling like, am I attracting the wrong people? Mm-hmm. What Essentially, I'm curious what you would say to someone who's sitting there being like, I feel like I have been doing this work for years and years and years. And yet yeah. I don't feel like I'm getting a difference in results in my dating life. So the first question that I would ask is, have they done nervous system work? Because again, traditional talk therapy, CBT, and look, I'm not saying that traditional talk therapy is bad. I'm not saying CBT is bad. Brain spotting, EMDR, they're all fantastic modalities, but they are all cognitive modalities. We're just working on re in in essence, word vomiting the trauma. We're reliving it but we're not actually looking at, okay, what happens in the body when this trauma re-triggers? And so there's no way in my experience, this is, this is, these are the women that we deal with. The majority of the women that come to me have been in years of therapy. I would assume so. That's why. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like someone that's interested in what you do. It sounds like somebody who actively is researching and doing some work on themselves to even come to somatic. Therapy. For sure. For sure. And they're at that place where they're like, gosh, what the heck? Like I have been in therapy for so long. I have, I was that girl that had my, my therapist on speed dial y'all. Like I was, I called her weekly. She was always on speed dial for me. And I got to a point where I'm like, what the heck's going on here? Like I have been working through all of this. I can sit here and tell you the moment that I'm going to be triggered before I even get triggered, I know it's going to happen. Like I could tell all this to you, but I still wasn't able to find, I was still dating alcoholics. I was still, you know, with men who were emotionally unavailable. And it was because I had not looked at how those triggers had an effect on my body. And I'm telling you, your nervous system, you got to remember when we just spoke about it, it, it's only job is to keep you safe. That's its only job, right? It doesn't speak up here. It's just like, oh, this doesn't feel good. Let's get away from the bear. So if you're not looking at the way that the body is responding to certain triggers, you're missing 80% of your healing puzzle, truly. So that would be the first question I would ask them is how much nervous system work have you done? Mm -hmm. Because it's going to be hard to break those patterns if you haven't. Now, the question I have is there's a difference between like staying with those people though. Like when you said the answer, you're like, oh, I'm continuing to date these alcoholics or I'm continuing to date the un- uh, emotionally unavailable. But what about the like attraction part? Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's often something that, you know, women put blame on ourselves of like, why am I attracting these people? So even if I've done the work and I've healed and I, I don't continue to date these people, yet this seems to always be the man that approaches me in the bar or is asking me out on the date and xyz and and trying to figure out like why quote why am i meeting these not good men yeah like how do i change the attraction of what i'm pulling 
this is a hard one. And sometimes it hits people in the gut, but I say it all the time that what you are attracting is a reflection of you. So if you are still attracting emotionally unavailable men, somewhere deep down, you are still emotionally unavailable. And that's hard. That's really hard. Now, coming from someone who's done a lot of nervous system work, and I really feel like I'm in a secure place, right? Like my significant other is extremely secure, extremely secure. But I had to do that work to redefine security in my body in order to even vibrate at his level. Because I'll tell you this, most secure men and women, they, they're not going to be attracted to someone who is emotionally unavailable. They're not going to be attracted to someone who has a lot of anxiety and, and doesn't have that deep sense of security within themselves because they've done that work to, to access security within themselves. So we have to remember too, that when we have some sort of dysregulation in our nervous system, that feels like a false sense of safety to our body. So we will subconsciously, we're not doing it consciously, seek that out because it feels familiar. Yeah. So that's what happens in the attraction journey is that we're, we can, again, same thing with that woman that can tell you that this man's not good for her. We can talk about it all day, but that dysregulation pattern is still saying, yeah, but I still need to be externally validated. And I know that this dude will give me a false hit of safety for a minute. So I'm going to go there so I can feel that sense of, of safety, even though it's false, right? It's not, it's not real security. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it, it reminds me of when I would go on a first date or, you know, a couple early dates with somebody who turned out to be terrible for me, but I had those butterfly feelings like, oh my gosh, I really like this person. And then I'd go on dates with other people later and think to myself, well, I must not like them as much as I liked that guy. Yeah because I don't feel that butterfly feeling. And it took a long time and a lot of work to retrain my body that that's not what I'm going for. Amen. That There's so much truth in that. So much truth. I One of my favorite sayings out there, I don't know who said it. Maybe I did. Um, I'm horrible with quotes. I'm like, <laughs> maybe I said this. My favorite quote <laughs> might have been from me. Check out my Instagram. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> um, but I, I always say that children who were raised in chaos. Now, let me break down chaos because oftentimes chaos people think of like extreme trauma. If you had a parent who I came from fantastic parents, right? They were they were so wonderful, and they didn't really know how to handle emotions, right? It was always like go to your room, or they never really sat down to talk about it. Okay, so that would be considered chaos. But children raised in chaos are triggered by peace and safety if they haven't done the work to access peace and safety, right? So that butterfly feeling on a first date when you're like, there's so much passion and there's so much excitement and this is supposed, this is the way it's supposed to feel is actually you being addicted to that chaos because that's your fault. That is your baseline until you do the work to renegotiate it. And now, you know, like peace can actually feel, I hear all the time, it feels boring. Yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Right. It feels boring, but it actually feels like home. It's the, it's safety. It's the way it should feel. Yeah. And then eventually it doesn't feel boring. Right. Yeah. But if your baseline is, is chaos and you, you know, and think about it, we, I think I wrote a post about this yesterday. We, from 
young girls and boys, we are conditioned to believe that love is supposed to be this like passionate, crazy, chaotic, overwhelming type of feeling, right? We don't actually get to see the peace and the safety associated with love. So of course it's going to be our baseline because it's shoved down our throats everywhere, you know? So yeah, it does feel different. You have to retrain yourself to see it differently. Something that's hard though, is I feel like often women will be pressured to be with someone that they say they feel that like boring kind of normal because everyone goes, well, that means it's safe. Like that means this person is safe and they're not, you know, I don't know. They're not triggering your anxieties and different things like that. But there's, there's still something in dating where it's like, yes, but I should be excited to go be boring with that person. I should be like looking forward to spending time with that person, even when it's boring. Cause that, when people say that, I think of friendships of mine of, I'm like, so often, a lot of times when I hang out with friends, we're doing nothing. Like we're sitting on the couch, we're chilling. We've both had long weeks, but I'm still so looking forward to seeing that friend. Mm -hmm. And often that's the thing I kind of compare to romantic relationships is like, yeah, like a lot of times it is just nothing crazy happening, but like, oh, I'm, I'm so happy to go see that person and like be in their presence because I hate feeling this like push and this pressure of just like, well, this man is safe. So go be with that safe guy. And you're like, okay, but. I should also want to. Yeah. I shouldn't just be choosing it because it's better than the anxiety guy, you know? Yeah. They, I love that you brought that up. Especially the analogy of friendships. Because how often do we, we don't think about that. We think relationship, romantic relationships are in one bubble mm-hmm. and friendships are in another. Relationships are relationships, guys. Like, yeah, you know, they should all feel safe. And if you have a friend that doesn't make you feel safe and you're constantly arguing with that person or whatever, like let them go. It's not, it's not worth it. So I love that you brought that up because there is, and that again is another reason why understanding the language of your nervous system is so important because oftentimes if someone is not right for you and you're struggling with, okay, well, do I really like this person? We can exhibit signs of freeze. Remember that survival response that I spoke about Yeah. and freeze can look a lot like complacency But if you don't know the sensations associated with freeze, you could stay in a relationship that you don't really feel safe in, but you've been accustomed to feeling complacency in your body and you don't know the difference because you haven't understood the language Mm. of what your nervous system is speaking. So to that point, understanding how freeze and fawn shows up in the body can also help you identify, is this person safe or, or am I just in complacency right now? The fawn one is interesting to me because it reminds me a lot of a response to negging. Mm -hmm. So like for those who haven't heard us talk about negging before, it's like a a tactic that a lot of like pickup artists will use where they like subtly or slightly put you down so -hmm. that you then feel like you have to prove yourself to them. Yep. And like I see it in dating app profiles all the time. Like they'll say like, oh, don't be like all these other women that do X, Y, Z thing. I, I happen to see a lot of men dating app profiles. I'm sure there are women yeah. doing similar things on the reverse side. But that, I think, triggers that fawn response. Mm-hmm. And that's a reason why, unfortunately, negging often works. Yeah, yeah. Well, and let's be honest, most women that when – I, when I work with women, that is the, major, the majority of the women struggle 
with the fawn survival response because we have been, again, conditioned that in order to survive, we have to discount our truth. We have to stay quiet. We have to put on a pretty face. We have to jump over mountains when it's not in alignment with who we are and what we want in order for someone to accept us. Because if we're not accepted, then we we die. Literally, that's what happens in our system. Our body's like, we're going to die. We have to do whatever this guy wants, because if we don't, we might die. I know that sounds like really dramatic, but that's what's happening inside of your no, body. When you think about like probably prehistoric times, that could have been true. Yeah. Like if you didn't have a dude who was able to like kill the woolly mammoth, I'm obviously not using proper mammal like timeline terms, but like you, you would die. Yeah, for sure. I was going to say the modern version, what I kind of interpret it was, I feel like whenever a relationship ends or something doesn't work out, often blame is put on the woman or the questions women get. It's like, well, were you doing this? Were you doing enough of that? Like, like we feel like it was our fault or society always puts it as our fault. Like, what were you doing that you couldn't keep the man around Yeah, situation? Because like, yeah. also when you were talking about that, I'm like, oh, that just reminded me of so many times I'd be dating someone and something they would do would bother me. And I would like talk to them about it. I'd be like, hey, you know, this thing really bothered me. Or if I found something and was like, hey, this seems kind of weird. What's going on? How suddenly the convo would be me apologizing to them mm-hmm. and feeling that fond response of that, like, oh, keep them there, keep them happy. Like, but I'm like, wait, I walked into this conversation. I was upset. <laughs> and how, how does this flip to I'm comforting you? And now oh, yeah. you, you're upset about something. Yeah. Like I was upset. You now want- you're upset. I brought it up. So now I feel like that's my fault that I upset you because I brought up the thing that you started. Like, yeah. I've it's walked so away from those combos like, what the fuck just what happened? happened? <laughs> what just happened? I came in there mad. Now I feel like they're going to leave me and it's my fault. Yeah. Yeah. Have we, you guys seen what? the show um, Tell Me Lies on Hulu? No, I haven't seen it. Oh, it is brutal <laughs> in an amazing way because it is the most realistic depiction of a toxic relationship, several toxic relationships that I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And there's one particular scene that's exactly what you're describing, Erica, where like I, I won't spoil it for people. If you haven't seen it, go watch Tommy Lies. Um, all season one's available on Hulu. This that sounded like an ad. It's not. <laughs> but it there's a there's a scene where the the main couple of this of the show, she's upset about something. She comes to him about it, and by the end of the conversation, she's crying, apologizing to him because of how he made her feel. Like she was upset at him for nothing and now it's her fault. Yeah. Yeah. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, you guys. So with women, it's just the way. And I know, you know, I actually spoke about this on stage last week. I grew up in a, a long line of Polish women, right? My great grandmother came over here from Poland to the United States. And in order to be accepted, her husband told her, put on a pretty face, just be, be good take care of people. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So at a young age, she learned to survive. She was just trying to survive. She needed to be accepted and liked that pattern then passed down to my grandmother who then passed it down to my mom, who then passed it down to me, 
who then showed up in all of these relationships with all of these alcoholics and dudes who were emotionally unavailable. And I found myself putting up with poor behavior and feeling like I could save them because this fawn response was so prevalent. It was my baseline. Like if I can save him, it doesn't matter about my needs. My needs don't matter. If I can save him, even if he's unwilling to save himself, then all's well, everybody can survive. Right. So it's like, we have to learn how to not allow fawning to be our baseline. And it's so important with women because it's just the way that we were raised. All of us were raised that way, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm the long line of Italian women and it's very much a kind of a cater to your husband in certain ways that are kind of like mom tendencies. Yep. And I've gotten those questions like from my mother or I heard it in the conversations of the aunts and the cousins. And like, it's very like, well, you know, are you like making them dinner sometimes? And, you know, men are like babies, like they really need a lot of comfort and reassurance and da da da. And it's like, yeah, but what about me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. like, you're like, I also would like to come home to a meal sometimes. Like, yeah. but a lot of times it's like they fall in whatever just traditional gender expectations. Well, a, yeah. lot of, a lot of those relationships in my marriage I've seen. And, yeah. and it's funny that like my aunt who, uh, you know, always worked a lot and would commute an hour from the city and she'd get home and her husband would have dinner on the table. And like everyone's mind was blown. <laughs> Everybody was like, this is crazy. This is crazy. She's the luckiest one of all of us. This is crazy. And it's something that's like, yeah, have any of you tried to do this? You know, ask your partner to for like a little bit of that, you know? Yeah. Like it's kind of laughed out of like, oh, when I'm sick, he's terrible at taking care of me. Like, Mm -hmm. but when he's sick, I'm the best caretaker. Ha 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 ha. I'm like, is that really funny? (laughs) That's not funny. Like, it's not, this doesn't sound funny to me, you know? Yeah. I mean, it takes one, right? Like I, I, I often laugh because the women that work with me, I tell them like, you're the chosen one. Like you were the chosen one. You're the one that's going to get to break this generational cycle. Mm. Um, I, that just spurred a, a moment for me when I was home for Christmas, my dad was acting a fool. And my mom, my mom said, oh, you know, it's okay. That's just the way that your dad is. Right. And in that moment, it took me saying, no, I'm not taking that on. He is a grown man that can respect boundaries. Yeah. So you can continue to play this card of this is the way dad is. I'm going to shove it under the rug or let's talk about it and let's address it. And let's tell dad that he broke a boundary. And also let's take a look at why you keep shoving this under the rug. Right. So like it only takes one when you start to commit to this work to change the trajectory of females that come after you and before you. My mom's healed a lot because I chose to heal. So it's funny how that can show up or maybe not funny. haha, But interesting is the word I'll use. Hmm. How it can show up the other way, too. Like my mom, both my parents worked, but my mom worked a lot. And like made more than my dad was like very – they very much had my, – my dad passed away, which is why I'm using the past tense. But had a very equal partnership, like switched off with cooking, like switched off with, you know, who would come get us at our stuff or go to our activities, et cetera. But I never saw my mom needing my dad from an emotional support capacity. And she did, as it turns out. Because as mentioned, he passed away four years ago. And so she and I have since had a lot of conversations about how much of an emotional support he was for her. But I didn't see it. That happened in private within their relationship. Yeah. And so I had to do a lot of work of 
oh, it's okay if I need someone. And it's okay if I, you know, want that partnership and that emotional support that I don't have to do it all on my own. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of swung the other way though, because then I was like, I'm pushing everyone away because I'm too, you know, independent, not too independent, but like too solo minded. Yeah. I-, I swung the other way to then I think going more into that fawn response because I I didn't want to be the other thing. Mm-hmm. So then I had to do work to come back to the middle. Mm-hmm. That always uh, happens. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh, I've gone too far with this. <laughs> yeah. The hyper, hyper independent trauma response, mm-hmm. which I feel like that one's like the one that's not as obvious. It's not. It's not. And it's, it is a trauma response. It's a total trauma response. And it's the beautiful thing about that though. And I'll say this to you, Allie, is that when you're working with the nervous system, oftentimes when you're in a fawn response, we can't, and this is getting really technical. So I'm going to like, keep it short and not get too geeky. I could geek out on the nervous system. Oh, I will. I love this. I'm like, I'm into this. (laughs) So in order to get to the freeze fawn response, we have to go through fight flight. We can't get there without fight flight. So that means that when we start to wake up and renegotiate the fawn response, naturally we have to go back through fight flight tendencies, Mm. which can often feel like the pendulum swing, right? But it's actually your body renegotiating trauma in a different way. And it's just showing up as more anxious energy or showing up as a different response because your body's having to go through that in order to really define safety. So I often tell people the pendulum swing, it's normal, right? We can swing, swing into hyper-independence because that feels like a new baseline for safety that we have to go into in order to actually access true safety. So for anyone listening, like that's normal if you've experienced that. I just wanted to normalize that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, I know we've mentioned a few times in the episode, uh, triggers. Mm-hmm. So when we are dating people and we feel triggered by something, what, what would you advise that person to do? Because I saw a video on your page that was saying triggers are actually like a great opportunity for relationships. Yeah. So the first thing that I would do if you are triggered within a relationship is you've got, okay, here's, here's what I'll say. When you are triggered, that means that you're going into a survival response. When you are in a survival response, your body only has one task and one task only, and that is to get you the hell away from whatever is triggering you. Okay. When this happens, the brain goes offline. This is a really important piece of this. Your brain cannot actually make clear cognitive thoughts or make clear decisions when you are in a trigger. The only thing the body's doing is trying to survive. So the most important thing to do when you are triggered is to remove yourself and to allow yourself to access safety so that your brain can come back online. And most people don't do this. If they get triggered, they'll continue to stay in that trigger and they'll fight mm-hmm. or they'll run away. Now I often get asked, okay, well, if I remove myself, is that flight? Like, am I running away from it? It's not when you can sit there and say, I'm feeling something so activating in my nervous system right now. I need a moment, right? Remove yourself, allow your body to access safety, resource yourself, which means do some deep breathing whatever you do to resource, go take a walk, go get in the bathtub, go to yoga, right? Go do something to allow safety to come back into your nervous system. 
and then take a moment to reflect on what happened. And if you need to revisit the conversation, go revisit the conversation from a, from a secure, safe space where people really get, you know, where they start to, to have issues and relationships is when they stay in triggers and they allow those two triggers, those two wounds to just keep combating each other. It's just gnarly, right? But when you can access safety, then you can take a moment to say, why was I triggered here? What happened? Let me slow this down and figure out what caused this. That's where the cognitive piece comes in. But you can't actually do any of that work if you're in the trigger itself. The brain's not online. That that makes a lot of sense because I I definitely don't – I'm not thinking clearly when I'm triggered. I'm not, you know – I. And I definitely have ended up in what my fight is my typical go-to. Um, I have ended up in much, many more fight responses and prolonged fight responses than I would have if I had taken, taken a beat. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. It's so important. It's important for your body because again, geeking out a little bit, when we talk about trauma, which in essence is a trigger, trauma is not an event that happened to you. It's not a singular event. What trauma is, it's the stuck survival response to an event in the past that was too overwhelming, too much, too fast, or too soon, right? And what happens is that that stuck survival response stays stuck. And then when we rub up against something that was similar to that traumatic event in the body, our body goes back into that survival response. So until we allow ourselves to renegotiate that survival response, we'll continue to repeat that, which is why the fight in you is so prevalent. You'll continue to fight because that's the only way that you, you knew how to survive in that moment, right? So it's like when you give yourself space, you not only allow yourself to renegotiate that trauma response, but you allow the brain to, to do what it needs to do once it accesses safety to figure out why. So yeah. So if you're dating someone and you feel triggered by something, and let's say you don't go and you have your space and you have your fight, whatever, but basically dating someone and feeling triggers here and there doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad relationship. No, 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 no. I was triggered the other night with my significant other, right? Like it happens all the time. And I had a moment. I didn't sleep that night. I was like, why do I in bed? Like, why did he say that? You know? And then the next morning, once I had time to calm down, I was like, hey, what we spoke about last night, like I was really triggered. Can we talk about it? And then we sat and we talked about it from a really calm space. And we were both like, okay, this is great. This is not what you meant. This is not the way that I took it. Because sometimes I hear things differently based on my trauma that I've experienced in the past. And it was really beautiful. And it brought us closer together. Right? So you're always going to have triggers. It's just, can you give yourself the space and time to allow it? What I didn't do that night was continue to lean into what I was feeling and talk, 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 talk about it. Yeah. I didn't do that. <laughs> I gave myself time to process. And then the next morning I came to him and said, Hey, like, can we, can we talk about this? Because it, it hurt me and I don't know why. Right. Yeah. I think something that I've tried to get better at is bringing things up in that way of, you know, assuming good intent, especially in a relationship where we're we're in this relationship together. Mm-hmm. The assumption is we care about each other. 
So I'm assuming that you would not have said that thing in that way, knowing that it was going to hurt me or knowing that it was going to trigger me. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so with that assumption of good intent, let's talk about why it did mm-hmm. and then move forward from there. So important. That's such a valid point too. Because when you're really in a relationship, you would hope, right? That you both are in that relationship to, to yeah. be in a relationship. Well, and that's why I talk a lot about how impact is more important than intent in the sense that like I'm looking for somebody who cares that they made X impact on me, even if their intent was Y. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that the intent doesn't matter, but like I'm assuming you didn't intend to hurt me because if you did, this is a very different conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's That's a relationship that you don't want to be a part of. Exactly. Move yourself from, you know? Yeah, like friends or other – exactly like you said, Erica, like even with friends. Like if a, if a friend says something to hurt my feelings or that hurts my feelings rather, I'm assuming you didn't mean to do that. And if you did mean to do that, we shouldn't be friends. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there's this – it's like there's the trust is there with the friendship. Yes. So, so like also with this conversation, right, a lot of times it's like, okay, we sit there and we say – how long do I need to be dating this person to almost like have the right to bring these things up? Hmm. And I don't know if, would you say that comes from a place of like trying to decide like what point can I trust them? What point can I have expectations of them to like truly care about my feelings? Cause sometimes these things are happening in such early dates and you're like, well, this person has made no you know, commitment to me. Like Mm -hmm. we really haven't built anything yet. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm sorry if this is wrong to say, but like a lot of times I feel like I'm sitting there being like, okay, like I'm not trying to be like this negative person or this person that's like already putting so much pressure on this relationship, which is how it feels sometimes if you're like, hey, these things are like kind of bothering me a little bit or, or whatever it is and feeling like, oh, we're not in a place yet though that we have this trust or commitment level that I even feel like I can bring these problems up. Yeah. I'll say this when you're dating from a space of security and you understand how security feels in your body and you really find someone who is also secure, it's never too soon to bring those things up. Mm. So really that's the cornerstone of a really strong relationship because if someone is secure, they chances are they value growth. And so being able to have those conversations early on will be met with acceptance versus feeling like it's too soon or it's too much, or that really is a sign that there's, there's a lot of healing still that needs to be done. And so you can't have a relationship in that space, Hmm. but when you really work to have true security and you understand secure connection, that person will value those conversations because they are in that space of really wanting to make a relationship work and understand yeah. security. Yeah. I guess I'm just thinking about the lens of like, if I'm on a second date with someone <clears throat> and they're saying things and I like, you know, referencing whatever, Sometimes I'm sitting in that position being like, this already feels like work. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm still just getting to know you and deciding like, if I like you, like, I'm not going to dismiss whatever the information is you're telling me. But at the same time, you're sitting there being like, 
oh man, this is already feeling like work. And like, I'm yeah. not even there yet of just like our chemistry and, and that like home feeling, like you said earlier. I think if that comes up that early on, that's your sign. If it feels like work, because even in, I'll say this, even in, we'll just use the example that I gave the other night, right? Where I was triggered. Mm-hmm. It never felt like work. Right. You know, like we talked about it and we had a beautiful conversation around it. And then it was like, okay, now we get to go be happy and love again. Right. So <laughs> I think that when there is that sense of this feels like work, because oftentimes people can be overly vulnerable or word vomit early in, in relationships to be accepted. That again is a trauma response. Yes. Right. So if that's yeah. happening, that's a clue like, Hey, wait a second. This person might be, they might not be ready to date or I, this may not be in alignment with what I truly want. Not because they're an awful person, but because it's just not what I want right now. Mm-hmm. And so you have to honor that and move forward. It shouldn't, I don't feel like it should ever feel like work, especially in the beginning. Yeah. So like I have a lot of guy friends and I feel like I'll hear it from their perspective. They'll be like, all this is being put on me. And like, I don't, I don't even know if I like this person yet. Like, yeah. and, and, you know, indirectly hearing that from so many guy friends, then will I feel like subconsciously put me in a spot when I'm dating of just being like, are we at the place yet that I can put this expectation on this person? Mm. And it's, yeah. and I feel like we've both been on either side of being like, when can I kind of open up yeah. and expect these things? And at the same time being in something where you go, wow, this was quick and soon. And like, you know, it's our third date. I, I, don't, I don't know yet, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think you just have to, you really have to lean in. I don't, you know, and it's difficult because um, in the, the partnership that I'm currently in, we shared everything very soon, like mm-hmm. our second date. Um, but that sense of security was so deep and that level of safety was so there that it felt safe. And it didn't feel like either one of us were trying to gain the other's approval or acceptance. It was just this space of security. So, which I looked for, for a really long time. I was the girl that word vomited, right? I was also the girl that ran away when someone shared too much. So again, it's just that it's, it's finding that equal balance and figuring out, okay, what feels good to me? And also relationships shouldn't feel like work. I'll just say that we've been conditioned to believe that they should, and they, they shouldn't. They really shouldn't. They should feel like home. They should feel safe. It also might be reframing what work is. Mm -hmm. Because I think that if you haven't had those types of conversations before where you're expressing what could be interpreted as a negative feeling to someone, if you haven't had those conversations, if you haven't done that kind of work, in quotes, that could feel like an overwhelming amount of work to need to do in a relationship because you just aren't used to it. It feels scary. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I think there's always, there's always a, I say you, ha- at some point you're going to have to do the work, the work, right. That we're talking about yeah. whether it's, whether it's, I prefer to, I prefer to do it single. So I didn't carry that into a relationship. Or if you are in a relationship, both of you are going to have to decide to do that work together. Mm-hmm. So you can still find someone and feel all these things that we're talking about and you can have a relationship with them, but you both have to, at some point, be committed to growth, to getting through the work 
that we're talking about here on this podcast, right? So it's like, I think that's that's great in redefining what work actually means and how it shows up. Well, Lauren, this was absolutely incredible. I feel like people have, there's so much practical stuff to take away from here. And I, I'm excited because we're actually going to be on your podcast soon. And so we'll get to continue this conversation. I know. I'm so excited. So excited to have you guys on. Yeah. Thank you so much. Speaking of which, let our listeners know where they can find you. Yeah. So you can follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active at Lauren Zoller. I'm also on TikTok at Coach Lauren Zoller. And then you can just find me on my website, laurenzoller.com. And that'll give you everything that you need. The podcast, all my programs, everything that you need on my website. Amazing. Well, thank you again. And we just, I had so much fun talking to you. Yeah, this was great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lauren. This was awesome. Yeah, you guys are welcome. Yeah. Bye. And we'll talk to you next week, everyone. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.